name is Connie Carmato, and like Brooke said, I am new to the preaching team, and I'm really happy to be with you here today. So we are wrapping up our series in 1 Samuel. So weeks before, we learned that the people of Israel desire a king so they can look like all of the other nations. So God tells Samuel, give the people what they want and anoint Saul as king. And as we learned last week, Saul is rejected by God because of his disobedience to follow the instructions of Yahweh. So today we are going to pick up where God is sending Samuel to anoint a new king. But we are going to see that this new king is almost missed because he does not look the part. So chances are you are familiar with the phrases, looks aren't everything, looks can be deceiving, you can't judge a book by its cover, but how often do we consider the true meaning of these despite the clear warnings? And so we are going to look at a group of people that lived some 3,000 years ago that had the same issue with their vision. It was limited to what appeared on the outside of the person, unlike the vision of God and his ability to see the inside of the person or their heart. If you will please turn with me to um, the passage in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. I have a slide for that. And please follow along while I read. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. 
So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. So today we are going to zoom in on 1 Samuel 16, 7. I think I have a slide for that. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So as I read the line where it says people look at the outward appearance, my mind immediately went to the People's Choice Award. So if you're not familiar, the People's Choice Award is a Hollywood ceremony, and they have over 50 categories that people can call in and cast their vote from the best actress, actor, singer, series, movie, and so on. But what strikes me about this award ceremony is the day after the most talked about event is the event inside the event, and it's called the red carpet moment. At the red carpet moment, the nominees step out onto the red carpet and make their debut to show their outward best. So if you would, I think Christine Skull says this, strap on your sandals and let's go back in time to the red carpet moment and what it might have looked like some 3,000 years ago at the People's Choice Award. Picture camera lights are flashing, the crowd is zooming and eyeing, and Saw of Gibeah steps out for his red carpet debut. And the MC describes him like this. Impressive without equal among the Israelites, the tallest, most handsome man in all Israel. He is a head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. So maybe you're picturing this guy right now. You're welcome, Jill. Uh, (laughs) Can I take it down? Okay. Um, So, or pause. Let's consider Iliab's red carpet moment that might have looked like this. Surely the winner stands before you. Look how tall and handsome he is. What prestige he holds. Outward appearances. And Hollywood is pretty good at pumping pumping up what the person looks like on the outside. So now I have a slide, and I'm picturing another award, a ceremony, and I'm calling it the Always Choice Award. And here is the criteria. Unlikely candidate, unassuming boy, youngest son, a shepherd, least prestigious career in Israel, insignificant in the family birth order, culturally not the norm, youngest replacing the oldest, and a man after God's own heart. So today's main point is going to see that God sees the internal beauty of a person, the heart. So this is the second time in 1 Samuel where we are seeing God is talking about the heart, and it is where Saul, um, you know, he's king, and he messes up again. He does not follow the command of Yahweh. Fear takes over, and he reacts instead of waiting on the Lord. And Samuel goes to rebuke him, and he says, But now your kingdom will not endure. 
The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of people, the people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. So I think it's safe to say that if the Lord is picking David, it has to do with something in his heart. And note that David, when he arrives on the scene um, from the pasture for his, with his brothers and his father, he is described as glowing, glowing with health and had a fine appearance. And so one commentary uh, commentator says this, clearly God does not oppose fine appearances because David's looks would dispel that notion, but rather that external appearance neither qualifies or disqualifies a person. So what is it about the heart of David that has captured the attention of Yahweh? I had to read further ahead in Samuel to find out. And this is what I found out. Um, So David's heart is oriented differently than Saul's. After Samuel anoints David in a private ceremony in the presence of his brothers and father, David goes back to tending sheep and Samuel goes home. Scripture tells us that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So I'm just going to get a brief explanation like that because this always makes me pause when I see something about evil um, and the Lord. But so God is holy and just and there is no evil in him. But sometimes when we want to go our own way and do our own will, it opens us up for evil things to come on us. So in David's heart, I see grace. The first time David is summoned from the pasture, it is in service to Saul. God is using David to display grace to Saul in his torment. And David continues that display of grace as Saul is pursuing his life to kill him. So David's courage. So for 40 days now, there's been a Philistine on the Israel battle lines, the Philistines and the Israelites are bad, um, uh, lining up for battle. And so there's this giant, and you probably are probably familiar with this, but if you're not, I encourage you to read it, and I'm going to give you the ending, so sorry about that. Um, but anyway, um, so there's this Philistine that comes out. He's over nine feet tall. It says he's covered from head to toe, and he has a lot of sharp objects as weapons. And so he's coming out to the battle line every day and challenging someone from Saul's army to fight him. He says, this is the day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the words, it says the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So now David is summoned by his father from the pasture again. And this time it's to bring his brother's food on the battle line and check on them. So David does what his father does, and he prepares to go to the battle line. And it says, when David arrives on the scene, Goliath is shouting his usual defiance, and David heard it. The Israelites fled in great fear once again. So David starts to inquire. He says, what will be done to this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Right away, he's already taken food to his brothers, and his brother Eliab hears of his inquiry, and he says, you are so conceited. He goes, who's tending the sheep anyway? 
So he's opposed by his brothers. It says, David turns and keeps inquiring. And Saul hears of David's inquiry, and he goes to him. And David tells Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul says, you are no match, David. This guy has been a warrior since youth. And David says, the Lord has rescued me from the lion and the bear that has threatened my sheep in the pasture. And this Philistine will be just like one of them. David's courage. David's radical faith and trust. When David steps out on the battle line and approaches Goliath, Goliath is looking him over and it says he despised him. And he goes, what am I, a dog that you come after me with sticks? And David says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. David believed and trusted God with the outcome. David's heart is full of zeal for God's glory. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. David knew it was the Lord that saved, that it was his battle and his victory. David's heart is full of mercy. As David's popularity grows, Saul becomes jealous, and Saul is on pursuit to kill David. David is a fugitive. Now, David is the anointed king running from the rejected king, and he has two separate occasions to kill Saul. But David says, he does not. So David says, some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay a hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. And there's another place where David and Saul are talking. I think it's right after um, David shows mercy and does not kill Saul again. And so Saul goes to him and he goes, you are the righteous one. He said, Will you make an oath with me not to wipe out my family's line or my our name? And David makes that oath with him. He shows mercy to the very person that's trying to kill him. David's humility. Um, David's a fugitive running for his life, and he's still calling Saul his lord. He's still referring to himself as the servant. He is serving the very person that is persecuting him. David does not exalt himself. He waits on the Lord. David has compassion. This really resonated with me. It says when David, when Saul dies, David grieves the loss of him. That's a whole other level of the heart of David that we see. David is obedient throughout his reign. Um... I have another slide, Letha, please. So when David arrives on the scene from the pasture with his dad and his brothers to his anointing, and the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him, this is the one. David, uh, Saul goes back to Ramah. I'm sorry, Samuel goes back to Ramah. Where did David go? We might expect a newly anointed king to go to a coronation ceremony, but David went back to the pasture. In the pasture, full of the spirit of the Lord, was this little boy 
learning what it took to be a king and a leader of God's people. He learned to trust God in the pasture when facing the lion and bear. He learned to be patient with the ordinary in the day-to-day considered unimportant job of a shepherd. He learned humility. The man after God's heart turned out to be an unassuming boy. I have a slide um, as we look as at David and Saul as king. That's very small. Okay, well, okay, I'm going to read it. Um, so Saul was the people's king, the people's choice. David was Yahweh's choice. Saul hid in the baggage. David stepped out onto the battle line. Saul sought after a man's approval, and David sought after the heart of the Lord. Saul surrounded himself with trophies. David surrounded himself with sheep. Saul exalted himself. David exalted the Lord. Saul seeks to harm. David seeks to show mercy. Saul makes excuses. David repents. Saul identifies with past failures, and David identifies as a servant of the Lord Almighty. Saul was separated from God. David was at peace with God. Even though David had a fine appearance, he had things in his heart, his eternal beauty that lined up with the will of God, and that in God's goodness, he used him. Maybe you're sitting here today thinking that you have been on the side of Saul's list more than you care to admit. I know I have. David was in a position to be used by God because he was not full of himself or what others even thought of him. He was full of the spirit of God. And in all of this, David was not without sin. He had his failures through his family line. And in the same town of Bethlehem came the one without sin. The one who took on our sin. The humble king who took the form of a servant who was made in the likeness of men who would submit to God's will who became obedient unto death, even the death of a cross. David was Yahweh's choice. Jesus was sent by God. David stepped out onto the battle line to defeat the giant, and Jesus went to the cross and defeated the devil. David sought after the Lord of the heart. Jesus reveals the heart of the Lord. David surrounded himself with sheep, and Jesus ate with sinners. David exalted the Lord, and Jesus brought glory to God by finishing the work that he was sent to do. David seeks to show mercy. Jesus' mercy is everlasting. David repents. Jesus forgives. David identifies as a servant of the Lord Almighty, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. David was at peace with God. Jesus brings the peace of God. Just as David, the new messianic ruler, was easy to overlook, so the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, was overlooked because he did not appear as the people were expecting 
I have a slide for Isaiah 53. Thank you. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no majesty or beauty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom the people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Jesus did not look the part, and people missed him. He came from Nazareth and not some affluent city like Jerusalem. He was a carpenter's son and born of a peasant woman. And he didn't surround himself in high-profile, famous people, religious circles. Instead, he ate with sinners. He felt pain by being rejected by friends and family. Jesus did not come as some tyrant making demands on people. In fact, he came to serve and not be served. He did not look the part on the outside, and people missed him. He came to his own, and his own people rejected him. In this world, Jesus doesn't make sense, because he is opposite of the way it views what a king or today's leader should look like. What and who are we esteeming to lead us? Throughout the Bible, we see God use the weakest, the unassuming, the outcast, the poor, the uneducated, and disenfranchised. We cannot see the human heart the way God does, and in his goodness, he uses us. Sometimes we can't see the God potential in others because we, can't, because we can easily be impressed with outward appearances. Maybe you are sitting here today and feel you have nothing to offer God. Maybe you have been captive to what other people think. I'm here to tell you, and I have to remind myself often, that in Christ, even if people reject us, we have the absolute approval of the only one's opinion who matters. God sees the internal beauty of a person. Um, can a musician come to play? Thank you. So I wanted to share a personal story about how Yahweh used someone in my life to teach me about his heart. So my grandmother made a living as a housewife. She gardened, she kept her food, she put up food, she took, kept her home for her and my grandfather, and she took care of people who needed her from time to time. Her life was seemingly ordinary, but these are the extraordinary mo memories I have about her. My grandmother always saw the best in people. I remember walking into my grandmother's house as a young girl, as a young girl, and seeing Mr. Clark sitting in her living room. He was an African-American man, and he was a friend. I was around eight at the time, which would have been a time of racial unrest in the nation and locally. As I look back there, it doesn't seem like my grandmother was concerned about outward appearances. And she was willing to see differently from our world's perspective. As I look back, I realize that broke a barrier relationship for me at a very young age. I watched as my grandmother stood with the people who had been outcasted and watched her minister to the broken. My cousin um, had a drug addiction and that eventually put him in jail. She had compassion on him, and she encouraged my cousin and I to write him letters and go visit him in jail.
She was an example early in my life, and she showed me what it looked like to minister. choice I don't know given time with her maybe I think so he always chose to use her in my life definitely throughout my life I witnessed Jesus in her and in her obscurity God used her what does that mean for you and me to live as anointed ones you know gospel tab family Jesus was the anointed one. That's what Messiah means. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and open the prison to those who are bound. As believers, we receive that anointing from the Holy One. We have the Holy Spirit and are joined to Christ. So what does that mean for us today? What does that look like to trust God's word when he says he has a plan and a purpose for us to give us hope and a future? What does it mean to be created in God's image and be image bearers in his kingdom? What does it mean to meet the criteria through humble servanthood, through obedience, trust even in the suffering? And some of us are suffering in this season. What does it mean as we stand here today to be humble, to be willing, to be last, to show the world Jesus, to bring the good news in our ordinary and obscure lives? In Christ, you are anointed ones. We are set apart for the work God is accomplishing in this world. And guess what? You don't need a red carpet moment. Because we have a helper, the Holy Spirit. We have God's word to guide us. You know, over the past four weeks, these are kind of the one-liners that I have takeaways. We are all leading someone. Get galvanized. Take action on by what excites you and shocks you. Second chances when we don't always get it right. And in our brokenness, God sees our restored value. He looks at that old car. He looks at our brokenness, and he sees us as completely restored. Um, I think about Paul in Galatians 1 when he says that, um, you know, Paul, he was persecuting and killing uh, Christians. And when he met Jesus, he totally converted. And when he goes back to the city of Galatia, he says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. What Paul is saying here, it's it's not like God is looking at us and we mess up and he says, oh my gosh, now I have to change everything around and we have to do a plan B. No, no. He set you apart in your mother's womb. He has given you something that only you can do. Get galvanized for it. John, Jordan, you and I didn't talk about this, but I'm going to do a shout out for the calling lab. 
If you're not sure what your calling is, even if you want affirmation of what you're doing now, I would highly encourage it. About three years ago, I went through it, and it's really helped me affirm things that I thought were my calling. It's guided me on what to say yes to and what to say no to, and it's just really opened my eyes. So I highly encourage it if you can make it this time. So when I was thinking about people that have gotten galvanized, I thought about my daughter-in-law, Alyssa, that she went yesterday and spent the whole day at a um, pro-life conference so that she could bring it back to her church family and minister to women that are making choices or have made choices. I think about Marla. I was so blessed enough to coach her and innovate. And so when she was a little girl, her mother was ill, so she had to cook for her mother. So she's gotten galvanized to teach kids how to grow their own food and make healthy choices and cook healthy food. I think about my friend Susan. She and her husband were driving down in Maryland one time, and they see this dog tied up outside, no shelter, snow is piled up eight feet tall. And she got galvanized, and she started a ministry where she gets dog houses, and she takes them so these dogs can be covered. But what's been so interesting is often when she arrives on the scene, she gets a chance to minister to the families. I think about my friend, um, her husband, actually, that uh, he could, his mom could not take care of him, so he grew up in an orphanage. And at the age 50, they just adopted three kids about three years ago. He was galvanized. I think about my friends, Doug and Jill, that own their own business and give people second chances. I think about this guy I know that works on people's houses, that helps them out, that's patient, and really takes pride in what he does. That guy's my husband. Um, so, um, you know, well, I was practicing a couple weeks ago with my hairbrush. You know, that's my microphone. I pretty much mans- manuscript every word, but I said these words at the end, and it says, if you have not asked Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior, won't you consider that today? And then I listened to Jeff's sermon on Thursday, and I'm like, oh, he already did the invitation, so maybe I won't this time. Then... I was reminded of a God moment that happened on Friday. I work for the Beaver Valley Intermediate Unit, and I live on the business. I do the business side of education, but we also have a bricks-and-mortar school where we teach um, children with special abilities, disabilities. And uh, so it was graduation day for about 12 kids from New Horizon graduating, and so uh, they all marched up to the stage and they sat on the stage as the teachers. I mean, you want to see God in action. You should go to that school and see these teachers and aides loving on these children. I mean, giving them dignity, respect, showing them love. It's just a beautiful thing. Anyway, the graduation award ceremony um, was ending. And so each of the children, if they were able to, they came and got a diploma They walked up the aisle and met their family and went and got a cookie. So this one boy, is they call his name, and he goes and gets his diploma, and he's coming up the aisle, and he's about halfway through. And he goes, Dad, you came. 
wasn't expecting to see his dad that day. He thought his dad missed an important part of his life. When he embraced his father, you should have saw the joy and delight in this little boy's face. You know, I think that invitation stands today because God came. He came in the form of a servant. He went to the cross for us. He doesn't want to be separated by you. He's standing there at the end of the aisle with his arms open wide, with his eyes full of love and grace and mercy. And he's saying, come. So if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, won't you come up today? This family is not judging you. They will love you. When it says that there will be saints rejoicing in heaven from one lost sheep, one sinner that repents, I'm telling you the saints in this room will be celebrating. Won't you consider it today? Thank you.